By listening to the Conscious Fertility Podcast, you agree to not use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your own physician or healthcare provider for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Welcome to Conscious Fertility, the show that listens to all of your fertility questions so that you can move from fear and suffering to peace of mind and joy. My name is Lauren Brown. I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and a clinical hypnotherapist. I'm on a mission to explore all the paths to peak fertility and joyful living. It's time to learn how to be and receive so that you can create life on purpose. Welcome to this episode of the Conscious Fertility Podcast, where we're going to have some discussion around endometriosis. Our guest today is Shannon Cohn, and she is a filmmaker, lawyer, and activist. Her films and TV series have aired on PBS, Nat Geo, Discovery Channel, Amazon, and Netflix. She produced and directed Endo What? A feature documentary on endometriosis hailed as the first step in a plan for change by Newsweek and also Film of the Year by The Guardian. Her latest film, Below the Belt, approaches endometriosis as a social justice issue, which premieres nationally the summer of 2023. So definitely start Googling Below the Belt so you can find out where you can see the screening and watch this incredible documentary called Below the Belt. Before she became a filmmaker, Shannon practiced international law and was part of the legal team that prosecuted Enron. And I want to let you guys know that Below the Belt screening in Vancouver, BC, Canada is being hosted by AccuBounce. And that is in April of 2023. So check out our website for details so you can come and join us at uh, that screening in Vancouver. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor. Thanks for having me. So you've done quite a few things in your life around endometriosis. And I was wondering if you're willing to kind of share your story or like, why are you writing or creating documentaries, movies on endometriosis and what and now below the belt? I think we're all kind of put on this earth and we, you know, to do different things, obviously. And if we're open to it, then we grow and evolve. And somehow, hopefully, we can all use whatever skills, experiences, uh, talents we have to put some good information out there. And all of the events that, you know, kind of lead us to that kind of calling. And I feel that with my work with endometriosis, I was a lawyer really interested in social justice work and then became a filmmaker. And I was working in New York as a producer, making uh, feature documentaries and building social impact campaigns around them. So using all of the, the tools in my toolbox, so to speak, at that point. And then I have endometriosis and I've had symptoms since I was 16 years old. And something hit me when I was in my, when my thirties and I just had my second daughter, I read a journal article about the seven times increased risk between mothers and daughters. I didn't know that a, a light bulb went off that, wait a second, I have this set of skills where we are literally trying to change the narrative of certain issues going on in the planet. If there were ever something that needed that type of attention and spotlight, it would be endometriosis. I I say it's the most common devastating disease that most people have never heard of. (laughs) I knew that if we could make a film or two films about it and really shine a light on it, ask the questions that needed to be asked, why is there an average 10-year diagnostic delay in this disease? Why does it seem to be that treatments are hard to find? 
uh, are hard to access financially and otherwise. Like, why aren't we doing better for the 200 million girls and women uh, and non-binary individuals in the world who have endometriosis? It all seemed kind of outrageous to me. So that's when I started asking questions about endo and started interviewing experts. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting situation is like, the more questions I asked, the, the deeper I went into it, the more complicated it became and the more of a mystery it became instead of vice versa. And so I realized quickly that I felt like we needed two films. Um, the first one, Endo What, is more of an accurate base of knowledge about the disease. It's educational in nature. I always said I would love to give you know, someone in 50 minutes all the things I wish I had known at 16, just to get me started, you know, just to start from a place of fact and accuracy so that then I could make choices, you know, based on my own individual situation and needs and symptoms and goals, you know, whether they be fertility, whether they be pain relief, whether they be both, you know, obviously that was, you know, to get someone started. And that's really a specific film. Below the Belt, which I knew we also needed, is meant for the masses. It's meant for everyone. It's meant for, you know, your Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe who lives, you know, in a rural area in the middle of nowhere in Canada or the U.S. or anywhere really who has never heard of endometriosis. Probably is never going to have to deal with it directly. But, you know, after watching it, you know, he thinks, oh, well, that was a good film. And there's this, there's something called endometriosis. And man, that really, that's hard on the people who have it. If Uncle Joe walks away from that film saying that, then that's a win. That's how I came to Endo What and Below the Belt and I guess what I hope evolves from them. You said something, what I wish I knew. I wish I could let people know what I know at 16 for them because it appears in my practice, I'm seeing women in their reproductive span, so in their late 20s and 30s, but I'm having peers that their daughters are teenagers they're being told it's okay, it's in their head, or it's just live with it. I'm pretty, pretty clear that they probably have endometriosis and I'm doing my best to educate, intervene, help them intervene so they don't have to go 10 plus years before they have an accurate diagnosis or start some form of intervention to help resolve it. Was that your experience and are you seeing this change? Or is it being underdiagnosed? Is it being misdiagnosed? In the past, it hasn't been a simple thing to, to detect. And uh, I've heard some doctors say the way it's taught is kind of outdated. And I'm just curious if you're going to talk to the, the mothers that are listening here that have daughters or those that have um, symptoms, some think it only has to be painful menstruation. Can you share kind of some of the things that may make the light go off that I could have endometriosis so they can start to advocate for themselves? Because unfortunately, you have to be an advocate today. And it's not what it should be, but I do think you have to be educated on some level and you have to advocate to the experts to get the care that you deserve. Yes, all of all of the above, <laughs> all of that. As far as what, you know, I tell people all the time when they're like, what should I look for? And I say, listen, if you have symptoms that interfere with your life, that cause, you know, your day to go differently, like if you can't go to school, you can't go to work, you can't do activities that you enjoy doing whether it is hiking, whether it is going out with friends or having dinner out, you know, with your spouse or partner, then that is not normal. Yes, you know, a lot of girls, for example, teenage girls, they have maybe some cramps and painful periods, 
But if the period pain is so bad that it interferes with their daily lives, that's not normal and should be investigated. And I will say, you know, have your radar up for for symptoms that aren't just painful periods. Actually, I and a huge percentage of girls and women present with GI symptoms. I've seen research lately that's actually the more common initial symptom of endometriosis. And when I was a teenager, I had stomach aches all the time, bloating, nausea, all of it. And, you know, of course, we chased all of those symptoms and never found an answer. It was only later that I realized that the GI symptoms were related to endometriosis. And then as far as like how it's changed, you know, unfortunately, still after all of these decades, the only way to definitively diagnose endometriosis is through surgery, you know, taking a sample and sending it off to pathology and getting that confirmation, which by the way, results in I think endometriosis being dramatically underdiagnosed. <laughs> so a lot of people say one in nine, one in 10 people, most experts I know say it's more like one in four. It's just those people are walking around not knowing because they haven't had surgery. But I, I hope that things are changing and we will have you know greater imaging, for example, and skilled image technicians who are able to, to spot it. And other non-invasive you know, biomarker tests with saliva or blood. I mean, those research studies are happening now. And I hope we get some really good results because then I think we can definitively diagnose a lot more people and start getting them the care that they need. Yeah, because let's highlight some of these symptoms. In my practice, we see women that are trying to conceive. So we see infertility related to endometriosis because it can affect egg quality. It can affect implantation. And then there's just those that you're saying are struggling with their quality of life. And the GI issues is such a common symptom with women that are eventually diagnosed with endometriosis. Often, their first diagnosis is irritable bowel syndrome or it's it, you're stressed, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they're dismissed, unfortunately, which adds to their stress. I guess it's been normalized. And we have a thing in Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine that normal doesn't mean healthy. Normal means that a lot of people have it and the current medical system isn't concerned like you're not going to die from it. Your labs are normal, but you have nausea, you have pain, you have fatigue, you have headaches, you have bloating, but your tests are normal. So normal means absent, does not mean healthy, it may mean absence of a lab test disease. So again, to advocate, if you're experiencing nausea and fatigue, pain, migraines, and a lot of GI issues, this is something you want to talk to your OBGYN and again, advocate for yourself. Check out the film below the belt and to what, because you'll get so much information from that. And it's interesting you talk about the GI issues because we're not going to go into a, a talk here. What is endometriosis? Except for like the endometrial tissue is outside of the uterus where it's where it's meant to be. Well, it's tissue similar to the to the endometrial tissue. Yeah, it's not exactly the same. Yes, I have to point that out because a lot of please, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, thank it's, you. It's, it's, you know, it's important just to disease, you know, origin and and the treatment modalities. But yes, similar but not exactly the same. And it's activated from the hormonal system. So it's going through. So that's why there can be a rhythm with the menstrual cycle because it's growing and bleeding with the hormones throughout your menstrual cycle. It can be in all parts of the body. And some people think it only has to be gynecologically related um, because of endo, endometriosis. But this type of tissue can appear in many places, often in the bowel, the brain. It can, it can go to many places. And so that's why 
the name kind of can take us off track because we're thinking it has to be just period pain, which it isn't. The GI issues is interesting because um, in our practice, we have naturopathic physicians and they've been looking at the gut microbiome for a long, long time. And it's only in the last maybe decade that it's reached kind of, it's not mainstream yet, but mainstream doctors are really looking at it. And I think Dr. Iris Orbach is one of the uh, doctors, specialists, the surgeons that you've interviewed, right, for Below the Belt? She is, yes. And I was at a, a lecture where she participated and uh, she went big time on the microbiome as well. And I really liked her approach. And so she talks about surgery and the old-fashioned surgery was cauterization burning, which she's not a fan of, aggravates endometriosis, creates more adhesions and scarring. And she talks about that incision surgeon is what you need. I loved when she said she believes in a mind down to the toes approach from east to west approach. And she believes surgery is often necessary, but it's not the first approach. She likes the women she sees for at least eight weeks to go through nutrition. So big proponent of the anti-inflammatory diet. She wants to kind of regulate that central nervous system, that fight or flight, that stress response. So mindfulness, yoga, you know, doing walks in nature, anything to help quiet that central nervous system, including, by the way, acupuncture is great for that. She's into movement. She talks about addressing the microbiome. And so regulating the immune system, all these things to reduce inflammation. Um, And we in our practice use acupuncture and low-level laser therapy. Is this how you've done it? Is this how you wish you've done it? Because I really enjoyed when she talked about mind to the toes, east to the west, and she says surgery is a part of it, but before you do surgery, so you have a better outcome, a better recovery, do this for at least eight weeks and then continue this lifestyle afterwards to give you the best benefit from that surgery. 100%. I believe, yes, you have to marry Eastern and Western medicine to get the best benefit, you know, the the best standard of what healthy means, you know, for you. And I did do that. And I was definitely, you know, when I had surgery, I had, she was actually my surgeon, Dr. Warbuck. Okay. Uh, I, and that was completely by luck. Thank goodness. Uh, I just happened to walk in her office in New York City when she was there. I had my surgery, goodness, it was a long time ago, 2006, which is, you know, I can be a success story here because I was having debilitating pain and it totally disrupted my life. I had two ablation surgeries before that and a miscarriage and I had just gotten married and wanted to have children, you know, at some point soon. But I knew there was no way, you know, something, I was a sick person. I, the endometriosis was, you know, the symptoms were taking over my life. And I, I didn't really have a name for it. I walked in her office, gave her, you know, my symptoms. And she said, you have endometriosis. I'm almost positive and we need to do surgery. But we also need to get you healthy. You know, I was eating in a, you know, a decent way, but not with any type of plan or mindfulness or I hadn't, I'd never done acupuncture or herbs or anything like that. So luckily I was in New York City. I found an Eastern medicine practitioner who then said, basically, you need to do everything I say (laughs) and we're going to get you on the path to wellness before surgery even. It's a powerful motivator. So I literally did everything she said, where I went for regular acupuncture. I took some very pungent herbs. Yeah. They're bitter. So you did acupuncture, the Chinese herbs. I just want to say something about the herbs. Kind of a standard thing that my patients hear me say often is, 
for the first three days of drinking this herbal tea, you're not allowed to call me and complain. <laughs> if you can't drink it on the fourth day, because I say you are going to say some really nasty things. The first day you're like, there's no way I'm going to do this. And the second day you're like, no, I'm definitely not going to be able to do this for a period of time. Third day, hmm, fourth day, I just got um, a call from one of my patients that's away, but wants more of the herbs because it's been helping her. She's in her third cycle of these herbal medicine. And she goes, is it normal that I now crave them? Like, what are you putting in my herbs? <laughs> it's neat how the body kind of adjusts. But yeah, for anybody that's going to see a Chinese herbalist and you're going to get it not in pill, but in tea form that you got to drink, it's nasty. And in my experiences, your tongue adapts after three or four days of drinking it. Most people aren't like that woman that say, I crave it. Some do say that, but most people are like, I don't like it, but I can drink it. But not the first three days. You're like, nope, not going to happen. Was that your experience? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I had never tasted anything like it. You know, my, I guess the Western palate, like, I was just like, what is this taste? I have never actually felt, you know, like I've never experienced this taste before. <laughs> it tasted a lot like dirt, you know, my particular uh, formula, but I did exactly what she said. I modified my diet tremendously. I cut for a while, you know, not forever, but for a while I cl cut gluten, I cut dairy, I cut sugar, I cut caffeine, I cut all of these beautiful things that I loved so much, you know, to that point. I'm glad you said though, not forever. because Not forever, yeah. Because when we look at diet, sometimes we use it as medicinal. And so we have a anti-inflammatory low glycemic index diet on our website that's free for people for fertility, but we use it for endometriosis. <clears throat> And then we modified if you have endometriosis to really bring down the inflammation. And like you say, until we kind of regulate the immune system, regulate the inflammation, we just got to give the body a chance. And so that's not forever, but the coffee, the gluten, the wheat, sugar, what I tease my colleagues, the naturopathic physician diet, right? The no fun diet. Yeah. It really can help by just giving the body a break. And then once you kind of re homeostasis and you're in a better place, you can add these foods back. You may not be able to do it every single day because it's not a healthy diet to have like sugar every day, for example, but you are able to tolerate. And that I want to make sure because people that are starting this path are thinking they do this forever. It's not forever for most people. And that was your experience. You are able to drink coffee again. Oh, I love coffee. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I have coffee with a little bit of cream and it doesn't bother me. You know, I I'd like you say, it's it's finding, finding the balance and being reasonable. At that time, I was in an acute state and we just had to calm everything down. Like my body, for example, when she would put acupuncture needles in my pelvis and it was, she was using like the finest needle she could, and I would flinch. I just had such inflammation and I, I could barely take it. Everywhere else in my body, I could take it. But in my pelvis, that area, I, I couldn't, it was just like fire. So we just worked really hard to calm everything down, to really take down that inflammation for several months. And then I had the surgery where uh, Dr. Orbuck, my excision surgery, she cut out the lesions, you know, so she got the, the part, you know, these lesions that were wreaking havoc in my body, causing that inflammation. She took it out of my body, you know, so then my body could really start healing too, because that offensive the offending, you know, uh, tissues were out. And then I continued for a few months later and I actually got pregnant three months after excision surgery following this diet. Interestingly enough, as soon as I got pregnant within six weeks, I craved salt. Like I've never, cause I, I blame my husband cause he's the salt guy. <laughs> right. And then I was like, I have to eat salt. So I was 
I was eating my, my diet was a little bit out the window. I tried to watch it, but at the same time, I tried to listen to my body and say, okay, but I need some of these things now I'm, I'm growing a, a human. But yes, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in the West meets East. And even to actually great criticism from some Western medicine practitioners, I have a whole section of Eastern medicine and Indo what the first educational film, because I knew, I know there's great utility there and people have to, you know, it's not a one size fits all, you know, none of us are one size fits all. So it was important to me to include a lot of different types of um, treatments or things available to you to try to decrease symptoms. And it's not being a one-size-fits-all falls into like Chinese medicine, naturopathy. This East approach is individualized treatment. And think about this. Your diagnosis could be endometriosis, but so many people present differently. Some have constipation. Some have diarrhea. Some are always hot. Some are cold. Some are bloating with no menstrual pain. Some have incredible menstrual pain. So, of course, their treatment may would be different from at least a Chinese medicine perspective. The surgery would be the same, but the diet, lifestyle, herbal formulas would change based on how you're presenting your symptoms of what we're calling endometriosis. That's why I like the east-west part. They went in and they can incise, they can take out this tissue. And then the naturopathic and Chinese medicine approach is, okay, you got stuff going on. What, what's going on for you? How's it presenting? Because that's how we're going to treat you as an individual. We're not going to treat the disease as much as we're going to tre- treat the individual that's presenting. Some are more, have the stress. Some have more digestive issues and we address that. I wanted to share an anecdote real quick as another illustration of this. And I'm sure you as a practitioner have heard something like this often. So with the same practitioner, I was in New York. Uh, I'd had, this is after my first daughter, I'd had a miscar- another miscarriage, unfortunately. I had to have an emergency DNC. And then after that, my body just kind of went into shock, I think. I didn't have a cycle or a period for nine months. I was only 33 years old. Like, you know, it just wasn't, I was having atypical migraines. Everything was just out of whack, right? So I go to a a Harvard Medical School trained reproductive endocrinologist in Manhattan, you know, that everybody wants to go see. He did all of the typical tests and said, I think you're never going to have children again. Like your body is just like shut down. Of course, it was devastating. And I happened to call my Chinese medicine, medicine practitioner, the one I, who I talked about earlier, just said, you know, what he had shared. And she said, come see me tomorrow morning. I'll see you before, you know, my patients are going to get to the bottom of this. And so we talked about it. And she said, listen, do everything I tell you <laughs> for three to six months and we're going to get your cycles back. And I bet she's like, I think I'll get your cycles back in three months and get you pregnant in six. Cause we knew I could get pregnant. You know, I literally, again, it's an acute situation. I did everything. She said, my cycles were back in about six weeks and I was pregnant with my second daughter in three months. And that was after a Harvard trained, you know, reproductive endocrinologist, highly acclaimed you know, highly said, you know, said, no, you're at the end of your reproductive road. And then only turning to Eastern medicine, did I find answers? Obviously, this is my story, but it is my story. And that is what happened to me. Another reason why I was like, no, this is, this is not the end of the road. I don't want people to think that if Western medicine fails them, that that's it. They need to understand, they, they, need, they have to consider everything. You know, just with your anecdotal story, I have one similar. I'm not as fast as your practitioner. It took me nine months, not three months, <laughs> but... Um, she came with no cycles, so her AMH was undetectable, FSH elevated, antifocal count zero, and then three or four consecutive progesterone tests months-wise. 
no ovulation. And so she came and we did a lot of mind body work. There was trauma in her history. We did the low level laser. She drank those nasty herbs. We did the acupuncture. Within six months, she was cycling again. And within nine months, she's pregnant naturally. Mm-hmm. And we never promised it would happen because you never know. But of course, yeah. she was still in her reproductive years. And we just, let's see if we give the, we call it in Chinese medicine, nourish the soul before you plant the seed. Mm-hmm. So let's pull out the weeds. Let's take out the contaminated soil. Let's get rid of those insects. Let's add water. You know, let's add fertilizer. Let's make sure you have the right sunlight and see if the plant, the egg cell, can pull out what it needs and reach its potential. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And so that's kind of our approach. And so going from uh, looking at the endometriosis, diet, the diet would be a way to adjust the microbiome of the soil. So diet's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Diet can help regulate inflammation. Diet will bring your fertilizer, right? The nutrients you need. Acupuncture helps regulate the immune system. It also brings blood flow. So that's like watering the soil. Laser therapy also helps bring blood flow there. It brings down the inflammation. Low-level laser therapy, I should say, not not the laser you go for hair removal or, or to, to sculpt yourself. Low-level laser therapy. Mm-hmm. Supplements is like fertilizer. And that was my next thing. You did acupuncture, you did diet, you did herbs. Were there any supplements that you would like to share with people that you found beneficial or was always being recommended to you? Probiotics, of course, like very good probiotics. Fish oil, those are the two main, you know, really, it's really about nourishing the gut and decreasing inflammation. Those are the goals. I like the probiotic and the omega-3 fatty acid and a good brand, everybody, because some brands, the way they process it is not so great, the oil, and some of them strip the natural nutrients and put in synthetic. So you do want a good quality fish oil when you use that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like inacetylcysteine as well, NAC, and there is some research mm-hmm. on it used in endometriosis. We have a blog on that on our website where we talk about NAC and acetylcysteine for endometriosis. And that research, I think it was an Italian study where the women would take it three times a week, 1800 milligrams, and they showed some benefit. And it has that ability to help regulate inflammation. It's a great antioxidant as well. Did you take that one? I just It's one of my favorites that I like. No. So just curious. I know. I'm like, I actually just typed it because I was like, interesting. <laughs> when you said it, I was like, ooh, I need to know about this. I ha- I've never taken that. I just pulled it up on my site here. So what's it called? NAC, a crucial supplement for PCOS and endometriosis. So that's the name of the blog on my website. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes. So NAC, a crucial supplement. And here uh, we're talking about, it was a 2013 study, 92 Italian women with endometriomas, so endometrial tissue from a cyst on the ovary, were taking 600 milligrams of NAC three times per day, so 1,800 milligrams for three days out of the week. 24 patients were able to cancel their laparoscopy procedures due to decrease in their pelvic pains, shrinkage of the endometriomas, or due to pregnancy. 55% of these patients reported a decrease in dysmenorrhea, 50% reported a decrease in painful um, intercourse and chronic pelvic pain. Wow. Okay. Did you ever see the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? Yes. Do you remember the grandfather that put Windex on everything? Because <laughs> yeah. I take it, right? Because it helps the liver with its detox. It helps inflammation. It's an antioxidant. So if you can bring down inflammation in the body, that is good. If the liver is functioning, egg quality, IVF, miscarriage, I just loved NAC. So it is kind of my Windex. Like I pretty much, you know, like just like I, everybody takes a prenatal in my practice, most are on essential fatty acid or probiotic. They're just good things for the soil. For me personally, NAC is one of my 
favorite ones. And again, talk to your healthcare provider because some supplements it's good to take breaks from and dosaging matters. So I'm not giving you medical advice here. I'm giving you information so you can go talk to the person you see one-on-one with to find out if it's a right fit for you. My whole family takes the NAC, so mm-hmm. we all we all take it. It's my it's my it's my Windex from okay. the Greek, my Greek bag wedding. <laughs> so, because <laughs> so, you, I know you're in a lot of contact with you know for what you do. So look into that one. It's one that I I like and it has some research on it for many areas: endometriosis, fertility, miscarriage, IVF, mental health. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, more more research being done on this really cool antioxidant. It's a bre- precursor to the mother antioxidant of glutathione which is an important antioxidant in the body. So sorry, not that we went off topic, but anything else that you're thinking of sharing? Because I want the listeners to know kind of, rather than having to wait 15, 20 years to kind of get the intervention that they need, you need a good surgeon. And you talked about one surgery you had originally, right? You had the, you had the brain originally, right? I did. I had two of those. They're called ablation surgeries. And unfortunately, that's what the vast majority of OBGYNs know how to do. You know, so if you have, you know, endometriosis and probably pain or painful cramps consistently, you probably go to your OBGYN, of course. If you're lucky, they tell you, oh, you may have endometriosis. Maybe we should have a look. Like for example, Below the Belt also shares this stat. 82% of OBGYNs admit that they are not qualified to perform advanced endometriosis surgery. But why would they be? You know, their training is in obstetrics. They're used to delivering babies. That's what they're good at. And that's what they spend most of their time doing, you know, in office visits, clinical. It's really hard for them to have that advanced surgical training to go in for hours at a time and multiple organ systems and operate. Just be aware that when you go see your OBGYN and they suggest surgery, ask them, okay, what type of surgery do you do? Do you do excision? How many excision surgeries have you done? Do you feel comfortable operating on different, like if I had bowel disease or, you know, other organs, do you feel comfortable operating on that? Would you work with a team of surgeons? If they tell you anything that you're that little, that gut, that gut instinct, you know, that we all have, that's anything like alarm bells start going off or you start feeling uneasy, then they're probably not the right person to do surgery on you. Maybe they deliver your babies one day. Maybe they, you know, do pap smear, other types of routine, you know, gynecological exams and treatments. But at that point, I would say you need to look for an excision surgery, surgery, surgeon, excuse me, and then start working on a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, Because like you said, you know, endometriosis is actually a systemic disease. It's not just painful periods. It's not something where you just take out the lesions and you don't have it anymore. You still have endometriosis, even if the lesions are gone. You still need to treat your body, your mind and your body to, you know, try to not have symptoms. And you can, you know, there there is life, you know, after endometriosis surgery, you can have, you know, still, I mean, I have symptoms, you know, from time to time. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to, you know, I have to get some more rest. Sleep is number one, for example. Mm-hmm. If I get sleep, I'm a whole other person. I'm sure most people feel that way. Like that's where it starts. Second is making sure my gut is in good shape. Those are the two things I focus on a lot, making sure I'm hydrated. If those three things are happening, I'm still having symptoms, then I'm really looking at diet, really looking at stress, you know, stress management. And 99% of the time, if all of those five things I just mentioned are doing okay, then I'm okay. 
It's interesting how you're you're sharing this because the body, if you give it the right environment, it can find its homeostasis, its balance. You said sleep. It's so underappreciated. When you don't have good sleep, your immune system becomes can become dysregulated. When you don't have sleep, you end up with more inflammation in the body. And so sleep is the time for repair. So getting good sleep is important. So I'm glad you mentioned that because we call them our, our free therapies, but we say these are the things that you do. And then you come to us and we can do the acupuncture, herbs, laser, IV therapy, diet. So eating a anti-inflammatory low glycemic index diet. So taking care of the gut check, right? Free, like you're going to eat. So go by, just change what you're eating and how you're eating it. Lifestyle, adequate rest. So adequate rest, really key because a lot of us don't. Either we over rest, we're couch potatoes, or we go, 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 we never rest. Moderate exercise, movement, the body needs movement. We're not saying you have to become a marathon runner, right? You just need move, tai chi, hiking, movement. And then sleep is in the lifestyle. So there's diet, there's lifestyle, and then stress reduction taking care of your mind, taking care of yourself, right? In the medicine, in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, naturopathic medicine, we really appreciate the mind-body connection. It's bi-directional. So the mental-emotional impacts the physical, and the physical impacts the mental-emotional. And so it's another thing to practice meditation or developing community. All these things are going to actually help with healing. These are things that you're sharing that this has been your experience that has been helpful. And when you start to notice symptoms, because you can still go out and not have good sleep once in a while, like celebrate and have some cake with some friends, birthdays and stuff. You just have that thermometer in your body that's telling you, all right, now we got to dial it back a bit and be a little bit healthier. And so when you do that, you recover quickly. That's been your experience? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I you know try to follow the 90-10 rule. <laughs> like 90% of the time, I'm making the right choices. And that 10%, you know, I give myself some leeway. I have my coffee with a little bit of cream, for example. That takes up some of my 10%. <laughs> Last night, we had, because it's near Mardi Gras, you know, and we right. had a king cake at our house. But I really wanted some. But what I did is I took off the icing and I ate the cake, you know, and still I was part of the fun. You know what I mean? I, yes, I had a little bit of cake, but I didn't, you know, it was with a balance. So it's always kind of looking through that lens. Of course, if I go to a wedding, I love wedding cake. I'm going to have a piece of wedding cake and really trying to not be absolute in the way I look at everything. Cause I just, I know me and I would say the vast majority of people listening is not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. We have to have some balance that make the right choices most of the time, but at the same time, you know, and embrace the things that really we love, you know, as far as diet and other things, all of these things that we're saying like are important, but they don't replace. I always say you have to have that excision surgery. That's the gold standard. That's the foundation. And it's really hard. You can sleep all day, you know, you can eat as well as you possibly can. But if you still have something in your body that is causing that inflammatory process until you get it out of your body, because it has to be surgically removed, you can't start to heal. You know, it's really hard to do the other things we're talking about and see as much of an improvement as you can get. You know, they help. But until you get the offender out of your body, like you can't truly start to heal. And all of these other things really accelerate that healing. And your surgeon, Dr. Iris Orbuck, that was kind of her message. She was saying, you know, for eight weeks before surgery, do all this East meets West approach to enhance the surgical outcome and then have the incision surgery. And so she wasn't saying just do surgery. And she definitely wasn't saying just do diet, lifestyle, acupuncture. She was saying, 
it's an east meets west. Just do this stuff six to eight weeks before your surgery so you have enhanced surgery outcome. And also to help that body's ability to regulate the immune system inflammation. So less chance of needing surgery down the road. That's the goal here, right? Let's just do it once. Because for her, she shared, Dr. Orbach, that a lot of the surgery she sees, she's doing th- for the third time. First time she's doing the surgery, but the woman has already had two surgeries from other doctors. And her goal is, can I just do the surgery once? And so, hence the incision surgery. It's so important to emphasize this. When you interview your doctor, well, what kind of surgeries you do, it wants to be incision surgery, and do you have experience? Because um, I think in one of, uh, I don't know if it was in my lecture or a YouTube video, I listened to her, maybe it's in the below the belt, but some surgeons, if the tissue's on the bowel, they'll sew you up, they won't address it because it's not their area. And she will address it. So you want to be opened up and closed once, ideally. And mm-hmm. so that's why you really want, and that's the message you were sharing. Make sure you find that doctor if you have that ability. Because I think people are saying, well, how do I get that doctor? And unfortunately, there's probably not enough doctors trained like Dr. Orbach yet in our Canada and United States. There, there aren't, unfortunately. I mean, hopefully the word is getting out and people are more open to that type of treatment paradigm. But she, so far, unfortunately, she's a unicorn, <laughs> you know, in my experience where she has the surgical skills, but she has the proper mindset, in my opinion, about how to look at endometriosis, how to treat it holistically. You know, usually it's kind of one or the other. And it's okay. You can still get treatment, you know, if you don't have the Dr. Orbucks of the world. But it really is what I would say to your listeners who have endometriosis and are struggling with it is. Unfortunately, it's going to be up to you to put the pieces together. You know, this is not a disease or condition that you can just throw yourself at the feet of a practitioner and say, okay, make it go away or cure me. Tell, you know, it's going to be up to you just to find the right surgeon who does the right type of surgery. You know, find a practitioner who can help with mind body, help with diet. And then it's going to be up to you, you know, in your house saying, okay, you know what? When I ate that, it didn't make me feel great. So, I really want to feel better. So I'm not going to eat that again, you know, and that's going to be totally up to you, whether or not you decide you're going to do that and listening to your body. Cause if you listen to your body, it will tell you, I like that. Or I do not like that. It's hard. Sometimes I even go ahead, but I've learned over time. No, I want to feel better. So it's not worth that, you know, two minutes of enjoying that food or that drink. And to revisit the symptoms that people can start to look for so they can advocate there's digestive issues. So you can have constipation, you can have diarrhea, you can have alternating constipation, diarrhea, pain with bowel movements, severe bloating, mood, anxiety, depression, like mood, it can impact mood, body pain, menstrual pain, pain with intercourse, infertility, anything I'm missing from your list of symptoms that I get most of them? No, that's a pretty exhaustive list. You know, I remember seeing somebody that every time she had her menstruation, she'd get a nosebleed which her doc dismissed. In Chinese medicine, actually, I looked it up. It's called upside down menstruation. There's an actual thing talked about it in Chinese medicine, but later it's determined that she had some of the tissue in her nose, right? So it can go anywhere. Oh, I haven't heard that one before. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to your your education here and what we're, I want to kind of just bring people's attention to some of the, the documentaries, movies you have. So Endo What, if somebody wants to, Endo What's going to give them education on. So just tell us what that's about. So Endo What is the educational film on endometriosis. It will give you everything you need to know to get started, an accurate base of knowledge about the disease. And it can be found at endowhat.com. And below the belt is 
the social action film. You know, it's really a film that you can watch with your friends, with your family, and know that they will understand what it is, you know, through these lived experiences of these subjects, what it is to live and struggle with this disease, but also learn about it, learn some factual information as well. So it's a great dialogue starter. And that website is belowthebelt.film. I would love to share, like we're doing a lot of other initiatives, educational initiatives in conjunction with the films. Like we have a school nurse initiative in the U.S. I know that that's not as prevalent in Canada. A lot of secondary schools, primary schools in the U.S. have a school nurse on campus. And, you know, when girls first had symptoms of painful periods or GI symptoms, they go see their school nurse first. So it's part of this idea that we had to go after frontline providers and say, listen, these are the symptoms you should be looking for. This is when you should have, you know, your radar up uh, that if a girl or, you know, comes in with these kind of cyclical symptoms, they need to be referred, you know, for care, for investigation. And then we're also doing a medical school screening tour, a university screening tour. We're really trying to change medical education about endometriosis, at least, you know, through make an end run around the institutional bureaucracy of uh, getting the right information to practitioners. And so that movie, Below the Belt, the website's belowthebelt.film. And we'll put stuff in the show notes for this. And that is premiering nationally summer of 2023. It's going to be in Vancouver in person. So we're going to get together in Vancouver in 20, April of 2023. So on the accubalance.ca website, you can contact us and get information on it. We're going to have a panel. So we're going to have a few um, patient advocates there. We're going to have a few surgeons there and IVF doctors. And we're going to have naturopaths and Chinese medicine docs that um, focus on endometriosis. So a really cool panel after the film to have this awesome discussion. You know, I love your title below the belt because I think we talked about this off camera. There is a herbal formula in Chinese medicine. Now, this doesn't mean everybody gets this formula who has endometriosis, but it, it's a common formula. It's called Gusha Zhuyutang. That's how I pronounce it, Gusha Zhuyutang, which translates to drive out blood stasis below the diaphragm formula. Drive out blood stasis below the diaphragm. Below the belt, diaphragm. Blood stasis is known to create pain. So if you have stasis and stagnation in the lower abdomen, you have pain. And it's for a lot of things, bowel-related and menstrual-related, but it is a common formula. If you have the pulse, tongue, and symptoms, it's a common formula that often matches endometriosis. I'm going to share this, say this one more time. Often, if you have endometriosis and you don't have what Chinese medicine would call blood stasis, the translation, it's not the right formula for you. So don't go and buy it online and stuff. If it's not the right fit, it's not a good fit. So you do need to talk to your herbalist. I just thought when you told me the title of your your movie, I was like, oh, she's the sage, you're a sage. Because <laughs> right. uh, 2000 years ago, whatever they, they had a formula and that's the English translation for oh. pain in the lower abdomen. Interesting. That's good to know. And it doesn't taste good, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so, how can people find you? So, if they want to connect with you, I want to put this in the show notes. If you've got Facebook or IG, what, what do you want us to share with the audience? So, we'll have this here in our recording now, but we'll also put in the show notes. So, and please repeat the websites again and any other way people can reach out to you. Sure. So, on social media, we're all with Endo What? So, at Endo What? on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of those good places. And then the websites are belowthebelt.film and endowat.com. Uh, and you, if you find yourself to your way to one of those, you'll be able to access all of them. Excellent. And so here we are with Shannon Cohn, 
filmmaker, lawyer, and activist doing good in the world. Shannon, thank you very much for making these films. Thank you very much for being an activist and being what I call a power for good for our world and the the young women um, and those that are in the reproductive years are going to benefit if they get to see any of your movies and learn what you're doing because it's, it's great. It's great what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we end, end, I wanted to mention a few extra resources that I'm going to put into the show notes below because I talked about some blogs. So I did a little digging on my website. There is a blog on your endometriosis treatment plan. So it just discusses some of the approaches um, that we do at our clinic that you can look in your area if somebody can do the same. The N-acetylcysteine, that blog on NAC, a crucial supplement for PCOS and endometriosis. So we talk about that study and link to the study. We have a blog called Top 5 Mistakes Women with Endometriosis Commonly Make. And it's just talking about some of the approaches that are trying to mask the symptoms but not address the symptoms. That's an interesting read, Top 5 Mistakes Women with Endometriosis Commonly Make. We have some anecdotal stories of women that have canceled surgery or have had endometriosis and were able to uh, cancel surgeries or um, have relief. That's the point. Have relief in their pain and go on to conceive as well. So if you go to the blog section at the very bottom of the website, there's um, a menu for blog. That's where you find the blogs. And if you go there, it gives you a search box. If you put in endometriosis, then you'll see most of the blogs and women sharing their story with endometriosis. Those ones will come up. And then low-level laser for endometriosis, we'll have that also. That's an interesting, I wanted to add this story about how I actually got into using low-level laser therapy for fertility and have been sometimes credited being one of the pioneers outside of Japan for low-level laser therapy, also known as photobiomodulation. Again, this isn't laser um, that you use to cut or burn or cauterize or for sculpting. This is low-powered, low-level laser therapy, red and infrared wavelengths. And it was from um, a vascular surgeon, Dr. Fred Kahn. He was interviewed in a Norman Doidge's book, I think, The Way the Brain Heals Itself. He has two out. So one of those books. And um, Fred Kahn had shared how he was treating a woman um, that had a lot of scarring adhesions she had had surgeries and uh, this had brought her relief and was able to cancel surgeries. Because of that, it had me investigate this therapy more and fly to Toronto and spend a day with Fred Kahn when he was still, still with us, he's passed since, and learn how he was using it for endometriosis um, and for just pelvic pain anecdotally. And so we brought that to our clinic in AccuBalance and then obviously from all the other learning and studies have developed our approach for fertility um, and for treating pelvic pain. Low-level laser therapies is one of those things that can help with regulating inflammation, increasing blood flow. And so it's, it's a, a therapy that I think is another one that's fairly new being used in that area. And so it's something you may want to talk to your healthcare provider about as well if they have a really um, good laser system because there are some that aren't very good as in low, not powered enough and how they're using it, there may be some benefit to you. So it's worthwhile as you're advocating for yourself and getting educated, there's the diet, there's the lifestyle, sleep, rest, exercise, there's um, meditation, the mind stuff. And then we talked about supplements a little bit here today. We talked about Chinese herbs, we talked about acupuncture and low level laser therapy is another one to look at. And then there's also as part of this whole holistic approach, incision surgery. Anyways, in the bottom of the show notes, 
we will add um, links to those um, blogs and you can also search endometriosis on our website and come across other women sharing their story as well. Wishing you all the best of luck on your journeys. If you're looking for support to grow your family, contact AccuBalance Wellness Center. At AccuBalance, they help you reach your peak fertility potential through their integrative approach using low-level laser therapy, fertility acupuncture, and naturopathic medicine. Download the AccuBalance Fertility Diet and Dr. Brown's video for mastering manifestation and clearing subconscious blocks. Go to acubalance.ca. That's acubalance.ca. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Fertility, the show that helps you receive life on purpose. Please take a moment to subscribe to the show and join the community of women and men on their path to peak fertility and choosing to live consciously on purpose. I would love to continue this conversation with you, so please direct message me on Instagram at Lauren Brown Official. That's Instagram, Lauren Brown Official. Or you can visit my website, laurenbrown.com and acubalance.ca. Until the next episode, stay curious. And for a few moments, bring your awareness to your heart center and breathe.